Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. It's Wild Boulders Live. We're taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. One of those topics, of course, religious liberty and the battle for religious liberty in our courts across this nation. Big victories at the Supreme Court. That leads to big victories at our district and uh, appellate court level as well. And nobody better than Kelly Shackelford to be sharing with the legislators at the Pro Family Legislators Conference and then sharing with you. So he spoke to the legislators, and we're bringing you that presentation if you if you heard yesterday's program, you already know that, but we're going to jump right back in where we left off yesterday. Uh, this is Kelly Shackelford, and First Liberty, by the way, fantastic organization. Uh, the cases that he's going to talk about uh, today, I mean, they do way more than this, but this is really important on the religious liberty side of things. So let's jump right back in where we left off yesterday. Here's Kelly Shackelford at the Pro Family Legislators Conference. A uh, guy, in fact, from this area, uh, he... Top, finished top of his class from law school at University of uh, Texas. Um, finished that, went to work at Baker Botts, one of the bigger law firms in the country. After seven years, decided he wanted to go, you know, put, do something different. So he wanted to go put away, uh, um, you know, terrorists. So he goes to work for the federal prosecutor and putting away terrorists. Wins an award, national award, for putting away terrorists. And uh, until Eric Holder came in as the new attorney general, pulled him off of that and said, hey, um, I want you to work on social justice issues. Well, he left. Uh, he's like, that's not why I went. So where did he go? He came to work for us. And as one of our younger attorneys, at age 38, he was tapped to be a federal judge for the rest of his life. Okay, this is a guy that's brilliant, that would rather die than ever turn from the Constitution. And when my grandkids' kids come into court, he's going to be their judge. Now, you start doing that 234 times, you're talking about changing the future of the country, right? And that's what we're now seeing. So I mentioned to you, something dramatic just happened at the Supreme Court, uh, and it's a result of this process. Um, and that is, you know, let me explain. 8,000 requests a year at the Supreme Court, please take my case. They take 65. 65 out of 8,000. Okay, so if my goal was for them to take two of our cases, I would be a fool because that doesn't happen. Well, they didn't just take two of our cases. They ruled in our favor in two cases within six days of each other. Okay, this is like, and people, people know about these things a little, but they really what I'm finding is almost nobody has any idea what just happened. It's so much bigger than they understand. T take the Carson case, okay? This is a case out of Maine where in Maine for over 100 years, they've allowed parents to, to pick whatever school they wanted with their tax money, public or private, even in out-of-state private. Why? Because most school districts there don't have public schools. So they let the parents choose. But then after 100 years, they decided they'd make a change. Well, what's their change? They decided that they would have one requirement. You can't pick any school that teaches any classes from a religious perspective. Well, we won a six to three ruling at the Supreme Court that that is unconstitutional. It violates religious freedom. And so that's, that's important because every school choice program in the country now, you have to allow the Christian schools. You have to allow the religious schools. They get the same right to choose those schools. And so that'll be big. And you think of all the schools that can even come into existence now that they get to compete fairly. But it's actually so much bigger than that. 
Um, and that is the basis of the decision was not schools. What they said was, and this is, by the way, Roberts, not a right-wing crazy guy, right? This is Roberts that wrote this. He said, look, whenever there's a government program that provides benefits in a generalized fashion, you can never exclude from the program anyone because they're a religious group, a religious individual, have religious beliefs, have, et cetera, et cetera. So I want you to understand what that means. I mean, I was just at, a, at the international board min, uh, meeting for Teen Challenge. Think about all the drug rehab programs that they had to put their religion on the side if they wanted to serve those people. You can't do that anymore. You can't tell them they can't have, they have to put their religion on the side, right? <laughs> the homeless, uh, you, you name the issue. Let's say a lot of state legislatures might want to do something after the Roe v. Wade being overturned to help adoption. Maybe they're going to provide some funding or some assistance in some way. Well, once you create that program, you can't exclude the churches. You can't exclude the religious groups anymore. They have a right. So this is a huge deal when it comes to providing real. Let's let the religious groups like Teen Challenge and churches, let's let them participate fully in the competition for who can turn people's lives around better in these programs, and let's see what happens. And here's the thing. They can't stop you. They can't stop you, okay? The law, I mean, this decision is handed down. But even bigger than that decision is the Coach Kennedy decision. And again, most people know about Coach Kennedy. Coach is the guy who was fired for going to a knee to say a prayer after the football game. And my, I think most people, it's been all over the news, found out he, you know, we just got the order, I think, a week ago. He goes back in March to the same school. He will be coach again. He will be going to a knee, and they're not allowed to bother him in any way when he goes to a knee to pray after the game. But what people don't know is what happened in the decision. And that is there's a case called Lemon, and Tim mentioned it. This goes back to 1971. This is the same court that gave us Roe v. Wade. They love to just make stuff up. So that's what they did on religious freedom. 1971, they said, you know, we know there's this establishment clause which says that we don't want there to be a nationally established church that we all have to support because that would take away our religious freedom. But we think it means a lot more than that. We think it means separation of church and state. Anywhere government is, religion can't be. Well, government's everywhere, right? We think it means that you can bring a lawsuit if you're offended by religion. You can't bring a lawsuit if you're offended. Well, but our whole lives, one thing you could. So we've seen nativity scenes come down, menorahs come down, uh, Ten Commandments monuments, crosses. Um, you know, anytime there's any religion in school, it's like there's a fire in the school. Why? Because the founders said any of these things? No, because of the Lemon case. And so three years ago, we had a case at the Supreme Court. It's called uh, the Bladensburg Cross case. This is a memorial that was put up 100 years ago by mothers who lost their sons in World War I until the American humanists came along and said, you can't have the cross on government land. And at the Federal Court of Appeals, one of the judges said, I kid you not, why don't we just cut the arms off the cross? That way, nobody will be offended and, and we won't have to tear it down. So two to one, they said it was unconstitutional after 100 years. So we went to the Supreme Court. And by then, we had Kavanaugh and Gorsuch on the court. And, you know, Kavanaugh donated time with us as a young attorney on religious liberty cases. I knew where he stood. I knew where Gorsuch stood. And we said, you know what? Maybe we can get rid of Lemon. It's worth a try. So we made the argument. And we won the case 7-2, but more importantly, 5-4. They didn't reverse Lemon, but they said, we're not following Lemon. It was a crack in the armor. 
And I sat down with our staff and I said, look, this is big, okay? But we have got to drag this into every area of society. We've got to drag this into our schools. We've got to stop all this hostility to religion. I said, it's probably going to take us like 15 years to do this, one step at a time. That's how you know, smart I am. Uh, and then all of a sudden we get Coach Kennedy. And we're like looking at the Coach Kennedy case and we're like, you know, there's never been a case ever at the Supreme Court on the rights of teachers or coaches with regard to their faith. Never has been. That's shocking to most people. There's no precedent. And we're like, we, if we go for the get rid of lemon grand slam, we could lose the case. And we, we, we don't want to go too far. Let, a bunt single could win the game. Let's get a single. And so we did not make the get rid of lemon argument because millions of teachers and coaches you know, ride, uh, were riding on this. So midway through the oral argument, out of nowhere, not prompted by us anyway, certainly, Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Gorsuch start saying, you know, I think it's time we get rid of this lemon case. And our eyes are as big as silver dollars. We're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And so I'm sitting with Coach Kennedy when the ruling comes down. And he said, did I win? And we're like, yes, we're reading. And we're reading along and boom, it says lemon is over. And then the dissent is going crazy. The dissent is going crazy, right? Because this is a big deal. This is, this is huge. And so 7,000 times Lemon was cited in the last 50 years. 7,000 citations. Every one of those just overruled, okay? Where the crosses went down, the crosses come back up. Where the prayer was taken out, it goes back in. It's just a matter of people knowing what happened. And, and so I had actually, some of you know Hiram. I think some of you know Hiram. Hiram's one of our more aggressive lawyers. So Hiram came bursting into my office and said, I need $20 million. And I said, what? He said, I need $20 million. And I said, what for? And he said, 7,000 citations just overruled. We need to go into every single community. We need to reopen every one of these cases. We need to throw every one of them out in every community in every state of this country. And he said, I need a lot of people. And I said, no, no, no. I said, the goal is not for us to take back our country. The goal is for the people of this country to take back their country. So what we're going to do is we're going to create, and it's, by the way, it's up. If you want to look at any of this, it's called Restoring Faith in America. And it's RFIA.org. And it's just, we're just going to tell people, here's what just happened. Here are real simple things you can do in your own community. You know, I mean, do you have a son on the football team or a grandson? He can ask the other players, the players on his team, the coaches, hey, you want to come pray with me after the game? We're starting to get pictures of people doing this. Coaches, players from both teams, everybody gathering together to pray. Nobody can stop that. Nobody, right? What if a school board wants to have a prayer? Nobody can stop it. City council member, okay, there's an endless list of these things that, that now can be done because of the 7,000 citations that were overruled. And so we lay out a number of those, but it really is an endless list. And it's not hard, right? We're telling the average person, now you guys have a lot more ability to do things than the average person, but the average person, how hard is it to go to your school board and say, do we have prayer before our school board meetings? Right? I mean, it's not hard to do these things. So, and here's the great thing about it is no one can stop it. Okay, we're always on defense. Somebody does something, we're on defense. We're totally on offense now. We just won. Everything just flipped. It's like God blew a huge hole 
in the castle hall. And now everybody's looking through the hole going, wow, that's a big hole. Well, we need to go through the hole. Okay? I mean, and here's, here's the truth. Here's, this is the absolute truth. Every American alive right now has more religious freedom than they've ever had in their lifetime. And we're just at the beginning. We're, this is going to get bigger. I mean, as we go into communities and do this stuff, there's going to be some resistance. Great. We'll sue them too. We'll create more precedent. Okay, we'll just build on this. We've got the court that's ready to follow the law. I mean, we're going to win if people are willing to fight, if people are willing to take their communities back. And so this is really, I mean, as a guy who's been doing this 33 years, you know, uh, I didn't think this was possible. Um, if you'd have asked me five years ago, if you could get rid of three cases that would help religious freedom if you got rid of them, what would those be? I would have said, number one is lemon, but... No way we're going to ever get rid of that in my lifetime. It's been cited, you know, 7,000 times over 50 years. We just blew up lemon. Okay, what's the next one? The Smith case. Okay, the sweet cakes I told you about, if they take that case, which many people think they're going to, the only reason they're taking it is to blow up the Smith decision. The third one is a case called TWA versus Hardison, which restricted religious freedom in the workplace. This case we've got, by the way, five justices have written in saying that decision was wrong. It was 25 years ago. It was made up by a bad court. We just put this in their lap and said, okay, here you go. Okay, we might, you know, six or eight months from now, have overturned all three of these. I mean, so we're just at the beginning of a massive wave of religious freedom. But we've just got to take advantage of those opportunities. So I want to show you, there's some things I want to give you as resources. First thing I want you to know, because you guys get questions all the time about stuff that you don't really have to, you, you go and find the answer, but you don't have to know the answer. Um, like, hey, what do I do? What is the law? What are my rights regarding vaccine mandates? We have these religious liberty protection kits. It's in the back of your book too, I think under hands out. But like on our staff are the two former head lawyers at HHS over religious freedom in all of healthcare in the United States. They wrote this pamphlet that tells people, whatever your situation, whether you're a student, whether you work for the government, whether you work for a private employer, they lay out, here's what your rights are, right? Same thing for the military. Here's what your rights are in the military. We, we just, so if you get questions, feel free to use any of this. It's, uh, they're online digitally, but we also have hard copies, so use that. One of the other things that I think is very helpful for churches, and certainly with you guys around elections, is churches and elections, what the law. Um, people are terrified for no reason about this, right? I mean, the only two things that the IRS would say that you can't do at a church is that they would say the church entity cannot endorse one candidate over another or the church cannot give resources to one candidate over another. Now, I don't know any churches that really ever want to say First Baptist Church of Blah wants to endorse candidate A. Now, the pastor can endorse whoever they want. I mean, they could be the campaign chairman if they want to be, right? And so all the things that churches want to do, talking about the issues, doing voters' guides, um, they can even invite all the candidates to a race to talk to their uh, church on a Wednesday night or whenever. And if they invite them all and only one shows up, they've done everything they're supposed to do. By the way, if the other guys show up and they get hard questions, okay. Um, so look, the things that churches want to do, a lot of it's just fear. And, and to be honest, even the things they say you can't do 
I don't think they would win those lawsuits. Okay, folks, we've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Stay with us. You're listening to Wobblers. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity, If you're interested in having a wall builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the wall builders website and bring a speaker to your area. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. Many today wrongly claim our founding fathers were largely atheists, agnostics, and deists. Certainly some founders were less religious than others, but even they were not irreligious. Consider Benjamin Franklin, definitely one of the least religious among them, yet when the delegates at the Constitutional Convention hit an impasse in their deliberations, it was Franklin who called them to prayer, invoking numerous scriptures to make his point. As he reminded them, God governs in the affairs of men, And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. So even the least religious of America's founders urged public prayer and dependence on God. For more information about the faith of the founding fathers, go to wallbuilders.com. We're back here on Wobblers. Kelly Shackelford sharing with the Pro Family Legislators Conference. Today's the conclusion of that. We're going to jump right back in with Kelly. Here we go. So let's say, let's say you did decide. I'm going to stand up and our church as a church, as a nonprofit entity, wants to endorse candidate blah. Um, okay, let's look at that lawsuit. Uh, you, on one side, you've got an IRS regulation. And on the other side, you've got free speech, free exercise of religion in a pulpit of an American church. Now, you ask me what's going to happen in that lawsuit, which is why there's been thousands of sermons sent to the IRS doing that exact thing, endorsing from the pulpit. They have never taken a single case because they do not want that case. Okay, so all of this is fear that's based on nothing. So this is a one pager that kind of will help your pastors. You'll realize there's, this is, a, this is a, a, not a valid fear. It's the way Satan always works, fear and lies. And so that, that can be taken away. Next thing, though, ideas for legislation. I mean, there's a lot, and uh, these are just some. Uh, state referees. I think most of you know Religious Freedoms Restoration Act is probably one of the most powerful pro-religious freedom uh, legislation for a state. Some states already have these, so you might have this in your state. Uh, some states, maybe you can't pass it because of where you are, but if you can do it, it's great. Um, laws prohibiting closure of religious services. That's one I think you'd get a lot of support for, obviously. Um, uh, laws uh, requiring religious accommodation in the workplace. Again, this is what we're about to uh, do on the federal level, but you can have them in your state. 
because you can't conceive of all the crazy stuff that people are going to try to do. You know, I mean, who would have ever guessed about the vaccine mandates and everything that happened a few years ago, right? So what was great about uh, requiring uh, religious accommodation is whatever they bring up, it allows somebody to say, I'm not going to do that. That violates my faith. And so it's a great way to provide protection for people in your state. Um, laws protecting employees for their free exercise outside of work. Kind of basic, right? Shouldn't be able to fire people because of where they go to church or for, you know, because they're acting out of their faith. Um, obviously, I, I, you probably are well aware of this, but um, laws just making it clear that parents are the ones that have the fundamental rights to direct the upbringing and education of their children. Okay, and this is at the heart of the battle we're seeing with these school boards. Um, parents have these control, not the government. Our children aren't children of the state. You know, we, you know, the cases go back to 1923 where they said, look, there are great places like Sparta where the children were children of the state. But those are different from, quote, the ones upon which our institutions rest. We have you know, between the state and children, we have these intermediary institutions that keep us from becoming, you know, statist or totalitarianism. It's things like the church, the family, and those parental rights are very important in that process. Uh, Religious Viewpoint Non-Discrimination in Schools Act. I think a lot of people have seen this. I know Texas passed one of these, um, and it was before the, the Coach Kennedy case. Well, now you can add to those acts. Not only can you not discriminate against a student at school, whether they're the valedictorian or, or just an assignment or whatever, because they're coming at the subject from a religious viewpoint, but you can now add coaches and teachers. They have protections. Uh, as the Supreme Court just said, you cannot fire a guy for going to a knee and saying a prayer after the football game. You can't do it. So there's the opportunities there. Laws protecting conscience right of healthcare workers. You know, and you're well aware of this, right? Forcing people, we just got another case. We keep getting these, trying to force people to engage in abortion who are healthcare workers. And some states have protection. Some states have nothing. Um, uh, what about uh, engaged in, you know, sex change? Again, these are, these are great issues of conscience and religious freedom that can be put in. Loss, um, and so, loss protecting contra rights of faith-based employers. I talked about uh, Aaron and Melissa Klein and Sweet Cakes. Well, you can just have laws that protect people in the workplace to be able to live out their faith in the workplace. So these are just some. I want to go to one more thing, though. This is another place where you can get um, information or ideas. We just did the first intense academic scholarly objective um, index on religious freedom in the United States. No one has ever done this. Uh, it's peer-reviewed by all these scholars left wing and right wing, and they admit it's solid. We simply went into every state, got a list of all their religious liberty laws, did a comparison across every one, no, no uh, subject, subjective nature to any of this, and we just listed them in order who had more laws protecting religious freedom. And the shocking thing is Mississippi was number one, but Illinois was number two. Nobody would have expected that, right? The other uh, not shocking thing is number 50 was, I think, New York. Okay, number 48 was California, but number 49 was West Virginia. Okay, so you can go to religiousliberty in the states.com. You can look at your state 
You can look at the other states. You can do it. It's a great, we, we tried to make it where it's very easy for state legislators because what you can do is you can look like if you go to another state and they have a law you don't have, you can click on it. It'll take you right to the law. I mean, you, just, you can just copy the law if you want to. If you want to change it up, fine. And some of these things are real simple things. I mean, do people, what if people have a religious uh, uh, requirement on the day that they're supposed to vote? Do you, do you allow them the ability to vote? I mean, there's real simple little things that some of the states have, have added that you think, well, I've never thought of that for our states. Certainly a lot of the stuff about healthcare workers and conscience and religious freedom there, but it's a great resource for you to look at ideas and see. And, it, you know, Texas was like number 25. Um, and so you're like, a lot of Texas were like, what? Texas is numbered. We've got to change that. So immediately start passing laws. Look at what other people are passing that you don't have here. Sometimes it's because you're in a state which is you feel is so protective of religious freedom that you don't have to worry about it. But you don't know who you're going to have in the future. So you need these laws in place. It might be friendly now, but it won't be. Put these things in. Provide protections um, so that you'll be in the best situation. But our goal and our hope is that we see a competition going on between the states over who can get the most religious freedom laws in their state so that even if we have screw-ups on the federal level, which right now we're not, we're still going to have great religious freedom protections in our states. So anyway, I hope some of those, and, and I think a lot of you know Matt, uh, Matt Krause, who was in the Texas legislature for 10 years. Great guy. Uh, you know, he's, uh, this is his last term that's just ending. Uh, well, Matt came to work for us uh, a couple of months ago, and he would have been here if he wasn't on a trip with his family that he had planned a long time ago. But he's, he's going to be a great resource for any legislators that need anything. Uh, we want to help in any way we can. Just look at us as a place to call, uh, to ask questions, uh, to get information. and But just understand that um, I, I don't know how to get this across, but I've been doing this my whole life, and I'm telling you what is happening right now is not normal. It is not normal. God is doing something dramatic, and I don't know why he's doing it, right? Maybe there's going to be a revival, or maybe or maybe we're, it's just going to get so hostile we're going to need the protection. But whatever it is, God is doing something great, and you guys can definitely take advantage of this and let us know if we can help. God bless you. All right, folks, we are out of time for today. That was Kelly Shackelford at the Pro-Family Legislators Conference. Always a, a pleasure to have Kelly at the at the conference. He, you know, of course, is on the front lines all year long, dealing with so many of these big cases, but also very involved in the strategy behind what we need to do to restore religious liberty in this country and, and have a good legal system that is truly uh, administering blind justice and, and doing the things that the Constitution expected of it. So if you want to learn more about Kelly, if you want to follow First Liberty, I encourage you to do so. Firstliberty.org is the website, firstliberty.org. Great organization to support. You definitely want to get on their email list and stay you know, tuned in to, to the different cases that they've got going on. But what a great update from Kelly uh, for all the legislators, and very thankful that we could share it with you, our listeners, this week. Uh, by the way, we're getting towards the end of the year. Kelly's organization, a great one to support at the end of the year with your end-of-year tax-deductible donations. Also encourage you to do that with Wall Builders. So check that out today at wallbuilderslive.com. Thanks so much for listening to Wall Builders. We stand undivided.